we have been in a series uh, that we just started uh, and we'll be in for a couple more weeks. What I titled, What Discipleship Means. Now, if you've looked in the bulletin and you see this and it says, God-like giving, and you're probably going, hold on a second, preacher's talking about giving, you know, where's my wallet, did I leave it outside? If you just think about giving as giving material things, you're really missing the point of what Scripture talks about when it comes to giving. In fact, it very clearly is discipleship because stewardship and discipleship cannot be separated. So, I am talking about giving today, but I am talking about discipleship. If you have your Bibles, flip over to Luke 6. We're going to be starting about verse 27. Today, just to shake things up, I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard. You know, you guys know I normally read from the NIV, the New International Version. But just a little bit different today. What you have in your lap is probably different, but if you want to follow along, I bet you will find that it says just about the same thing. So read with me if you would. Jesus talking. By the way, Matthew 6, if you look right up before this, around verse 20, you're going to see some words that you've heard before. Blessed is this, blessed is that. That ought to remind you of what? Matthew 5, 5, 6, and 7. This is actually Luke's somewhat condensed, but what Luke in his research came up with as to what was taught on the Sermon on the Mount. So we're right in there with Matthew 5, 6, and 7, okay? But it's different. It's the same, but it's different. Starting at verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. By the way, what word do you think Luke is using for love? Agape, which is for the good of the other person. Is there an emotional content? Sure there is. But it's a decisional love. I will love you despite who you are and what you do to me. That is the whole lesson for today. But I've got more time to kill, so stick with me, okay? But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, hit them back. I was just seeing if you're paying attention here. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. Whoever takes away your coat, Do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And whoever takes away what is yours, don't demand it back. Just as you want men, people, humans, to treat you, 
treat them the same way. Does that sound like anything you've heard before? What do, we, what do we call the principle that's in our society that sort of matches up with that verse? What? The golden rule. You know, there are people who say, the golden rule's not in the Bible. Yeah, it is. It's right there. By the way, if you want to make a note of it, that's verse 31. It is a biblical, Christian, Jesus-taught principle. And I can tell you the truth. If the Christians in our society practice that verse, our country would be different. If our society that was based on biblical principles and people who grew up in school hearing that even in state schools did that, our society would be different. Amen? Amen. Let's keep going. And if you love those, let's see, is that the right one? Yeah. I'm the one that's behind. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same thing. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies. Have we got a repeated phrase here? People who've been in the John study, repeated phrase, right? But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the, the most high for he himself is kind and grateful to evil men. I hope you saw the typo I put in there. Kind and grateful to evil men. Is that true? Who's Jesus talking to? Sermon on the Mount, who's he talking to? He's talking to the people of God. Is God still gracious to evil men, to evil women? I can tell you this. He's been very gracious to me. Has he been gracious to you? Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Do not pass judgment and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you shall not be condemned. Pardon and you will be pardoned. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. They will pour into your lap. For whatever measure you deal with others, it will be dealt 
to you in return. Do you hear that last verse? Do you know what that is? That's the other golden rule. You notice he started kind of there, and he's come back to it, and he's been a little bit more pointed about it, right? That's verse 38, if you want to write it down. A couple of quick, let's say four quick, um, critical observations here. Very quickly, this behavior that Jesus is talking about, this behavior is to be our lifestyle. This is what he is calling his followers, his disciples to. Yes? And it is apparent in these verses that Jesus expects all of his disciples to live this way. Two, this behavior sets us apart from the world. It is not the thinking of man in natural habitat. It's just not. Three different times in this section we just read, our Lord said if we don't live a life of giving and sharing and loving then we're not distinctively different from anybody else. Three, this attitude is modeled by our Heavenly Father. There at verse 36. And Jesus is not asking us to do anything he has not modeled for us or than what God has already done for each one of us. He's not asking us to do anything he is not willing to do himself. You know what we call that? That's not being a boss. That's being what? A leader. It's being a leader. Do as I show you I am doing. That's a leader. Yes? Yeah. Okay. Four, this mindset will reap many benefits. And he talks about those in verse 35. He says, our reward will be great. And then he turns around in verse 37, and he says something very clearly. He says, if we do not judge others, we won't be judged. If we don't condemn others, we won't be condemned. If we pardon excuse, acquit others, we will be pardoned. Do you hear what he is saying? In other words, Jesus is very clearly pretty much saying we determine our own consequences in this life that reflect in the next. So you don't think you've got any control of your life? Jesus just said, ultimately, you do. It's your choice. You choose. What he is saying is, our attitude toward others determines God's attitude toward us. Now, I don't know about you, 
But I don't read this section of scripture very often. Because this isn't all about love, love, love. This is about Eric. Get off your high horse. And get to work. Friend, God's word teaches us that when we manage the things that God gives us correctly, you know what happens? We receive more. When we manage it incorrectly, we receive less. A lake, a reservoir. You know what a reservoir is, right? Uh, you might think of it as, um, as a lake that's in a river that has become a lake because somebody built a dam and backed the water up, right? And typically, if you're calling it a reservoir, there's a reason for it. You're going to eke out water for drinking in a town, or you're going to use it to generate electricity or something like that. But you know what you've done in that reservoir? You've stored something up for who? Oh, for you. Well, maybe you're going to sell it for profit, but it's for you. You see, friends, we can either be a reservoir of God's blessing or we can be a river of God's blessing. We are stewards of God's blessing and grace that he has given to us and he expects us to give to others. We get to be the channel of his blessing to our community and to the missionaries we support. By the way, if you notice in the bulletin, it reminds you every week we need to be praying for one of our missionaries. Pray for all of them, but here's one in particular for this month. We're praying for Copahar, right? The children's home, the school there, right? I can tell you, they need our prayers and their support. But you get to be a challenge of God's grace in that. So how do we develop this giving lifestyle? Friend, I want to tell you, it starts when we give ourselves totally over to God. That is where it starts. Because you see, friends, true stewardship doesn't start with what we put in an offering plate on Sunday. It begins when we totally give ourselves over to Christ. You may remember what Paul said to the church in Corinth as he's writing 2 Corinthians 8. As he's writing there, he is talking about uh, some very interesting things about the church in Macedonia and how they were, were giving as he's trying to uh, encourage the Corinth church to also help support the body that was uh, in famine in Jerusalem. And you notice what he says. He says, they gave according to their ability. And then he stops and he thinks about it. And he quickly says, no, they really gave more than they were able to give. You catch that? That stands out. But Eric, wait a minute. 
How can a person give more than they're able to give? Paul talks about that too. In verse 5, he says, they gave themselves first to the Lord. That's why they were able to give more than they had. Because they first gave themselves over to Christ, to God. You see, all stewardship begins with lordship. Until that happens, nothing else happens. Friend, the first thing that we give to God is not our money. It's not our time. It's not our talent. It is not one day a week on Sunday. The first thing that we give to God is ourselves. By the way, he's already given himself wholly and completely over to us, yes or yes. All he's asking is for us to come in covenant, to come in relationship with him, where we are sharing every aspect of our life with him. Everything else flows from this understanding, from the understanding that it all belongs to God. Which reminds me of French fries. <laughs> I got a true believer over here. Amen. Yes. Bob took his family to McDonald's, his kids with him and he bought his son uh, McDonald's fries and as they sat down he brought the tray back to the table those fries were just smelling you smelled McDonald's fries before yes yes Steve says I've already planted that thought in his head yeah you think about it you can you can smell them and instinctively, he reached across and he grabbed a couple of the, his son's fries. And the boy said, Dad, Dad, leave my fries alone. Bob, talking to a friend of his, says, you know what? He said that, and I, I kind of reared back. And I, I had to think about what just happened. I mean, I recoiled and, and really felt bad. I, I felt terrible. And I got to thinking about what just happened. You know, my son doesn't realize where those fries came from. He doesn't realize that five minutes ago, I went to the counter and I took out my wallet and I paid for those fries. And I bought those fries for him. So... I'm the source of those fries. He doesn't understand that I can bury him in fries. He 
He doesn't understand that I really don't need those fries. But what I do need is his willingness to share what I have already previously given to him. Can I tell you what the the height of ingratitude is? It is for God to give us something and then for us to put a fence around it and act like it belongs to us. That it's ours and we become possessive of it. Because you see, friends, there's a basic principle in Scripture. We own nothing. You want a good example of what that? Right there, right beside that line, right. Psalms 50, 10, and 12. Psalm 50, 10, and 12. I'm not going to read it to you. You look it up. I think you'll find. He owns everything. If you and I are going to develop a lifestyle of God-like giving, the first thing we have got to do is forgive Forget about giving him only a little bit here and there. We have to just give him ourselves completely. And you know what that is? That is surrendering to his lordship. Giving him undisputed possession of everything we are. I want to take a second. And just talk about some some common words that are in the Bible. You know, repeated words. Things that might point to something important that you might see over a course of of time. I want to start with just a, a group of words. The word belief or believe or believing believer. Okay? Scripture talks about us believing. Yes? Yes or yes? Yes. Okay. 272 verses throughout the Bible talk about belief. What about prayer? Are we called to pray? Is that something we're supposed to do? Do you know that? Do you hear people talking about? Are we supposed to pray? There are 371 verses that talk about prayer. What about loving? Love, loving. Is that something we're supposed to do? Have you read stuff about that? Have we read stuff about that today? That should be a yes. Yes, we have, right? 714 times we have verses that talk about love and loving. Okay. How many verses that are in Scripture do you think do you suppose talk about giving and being a giver? How many do you think? More than 272? More than 714? Okay. You're being generous. Okay. Okay. You know I'm going to tell you all I'm doing is bringing some tension in, right? Here you go. Did you think this many? 
2,162 verses throughout Scripture talk about giving or being a giver. Now, I know word count's not a great way to set your theology on. I'm with you on that. But it is a great way to see if there is something that's emphasized in Scripture, which should inform our theology, the way we think, the way we act. Oh, quick math. That's three times as many scriptures that talk about loving. That's seven times as many scriptures that talk about prayer and eight times as many that talk about belief from the beginning to the end of the Bible. Old Testament and New Testament are clear. God desires to bless us and provide for us with the necessities of life. That's true. That's there. It's fact. If we, as his children, know that a sparrow can't fall without him knowing. If we, as his children, know that he knows even the count of the hairs on our head, although Steve and Eric and I are making it much easier for him these days. If we know that he knows our sins and our faults, isn't it wonderful? That he still wants to take care of us. And all he asks is that we learn to act like him. Now for God to take care of our physical needs and our financial needs, there are several things that we need to do. And I'm just reminding you, but hopefully I'm going to encourage you this morning, okay? Several things we need to do. One, ask God to provide our needs. Well, where do you get that, Eric? Well, from the Lord's Prayer. That's what Jesus taught. You can go back and look at Matthew 6 and you can read that, right? He said, uh, what was it? Forgive us this day. Give us this day our daily bread, right? right? Oh, and he did say forgive us as we Forgive others. You've heard that, yes? Okay. You can add that one in. Can I ask you another question? Why would he tell us to ask if he was not willing to answer that prayer? Don't you see what he's saying? Come to me, I'll give you good things, right? The Apostle Paul says something very similar when you think about it in Philippians 4, 6, he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Why? Because he's good and he wants to take care of us. It 
in every aspect of life, we need to go to prayer and we need to ask God and see what he does. We need to listen also to what he says. One more, two. Put material wealth into biblical perspective. It is a fact. It is a biblical truth. And it is a spiritual principle that God does not bless a miser. God does not bless a stingy person. God is not stingy. And we become like him through his son. And we should be coming more like him. You see, a miser's idol is his purse. Or the security that he thinks he has because he has worldly wealth. But Matthew, what's he say? First thing, what? First thing Seek the kingdom of God, right? And you remember in that section, Jesus is telling us, I will meet your needs if you put me where? First. Yes. Three, realize generosity is a spiritual test. Oh, no. There's a test? Yes. There is. Did you ever know that giving is a test of our commitment to God? Did you ever know that? If you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? There's a verse to think about this week. Do you know what a checkbook is? If you do, then you're older than dirt. <laughs> yes, I'm just as, just as dirt as you are. Thank you, Steve. Um, a checkbook is a theological document. It's a theological document. Do you know why? Because it indicates who... And what we worship. You know, it's easy to come to church. It's easy to, to say. It's easy to pray. It's easy to sing. Oh, I love you, Lord. You know I love you. I love you. I love you. Sometimes I wonder if God's not up there going, uh, you do? Really? Let me see your checkbook. You know Why? Because how you choose to spend your money reflects what you value. Now, I'm not telling you this morning what to spend your money on. What I'm hoping to do is to prick your heart a little bit so that the next time you're looking at your finances, even if you're paying bills electronically, just do it. With awareness. Because it's a theological thing when you spend your money.
fourth thing. Focus on the eternal, not the temporary. When we begin to become God-like givers, we need to be focusing on the things that last. We need to be focusing on the eternal, not the temporal. Jeff Walling, uh, I talked about him a little bit uh, here and there because there's something that we came across, Joy and I came across, that really is one of those seminal teachings, very, very simple, that changed the course of our life and changed the course of how we teach discipleship. Um, he's a... Um, was the um, uh, preacher at Providence Road uh, Church of Christ in Charlotte, South Carolina for a number of years. He's now actually on staff at Abilene uh, Christian College. Um, and, And he talks about this thing right here. He talks about eternity being a line. Just a very simple metaphor. Eternity is a line. It was going on long before we got here. It's going to be going on long after we live, leave here. And our life, regardless of how long you think it is, is but a dot on the line of eternity. And if we are really, really concerned with this tiny little dot, do you see what we're missing? It's a perspective, right? Now, there are dot decisions, Joy goes to the store, she buys Colgate. I go to the store, I buy Crest. That's a dot decision. God don't care which toothpaste we buy. Yes? And if you go to eat McDonald's fries or you go to eat waffle fries, well, you're probably not as spiritual as me, but, you know, it doesn't really matter. I just happen to like Chick-fil-A better. But that's a dot Decision, but not every decision we make in life is a dot decision. There are decisions that are line decisions. And if you don't know the difference, you need to learn those things that have ripple effects, especially those things that affect the way people see our Lord. That is not a dot decision. That is a line decision. Jeff Walling put this in a very, very simple way, which is why I remember it. He said, live for the line, not the dot. Because if you're living for the line, You're going to become a God-like giver. God wants us to fully understand and experience the joy and the happiness of being in his family. And he's giving us so much more than we can ever repay. And if you think I'm talking about money, you've missed this whole lesson. I'm talking about discipleship. Discipleship and stewardship can't be separated. In Luke 6, 
Jesus reminds us that if we're going to live like Christ, if we're going to live a cross-shaped life, a life that is marked by generous giving of ourselves over to the work of the Lord, which will be a sacrifice of our life. And it means a generous giving of ourselves to the souls that he has died for that are in this world at the same time. It's going to be a life of sacrifice. And Christ gave us his everything so that you and I can be free. Not just in eternity, but today, right now, in this world. Your experience may be different. I get that. But I can tell you my life is drastically better allowing God to be in control of my life than when Eric was in control, thought he was in control of his life. And I'm telling you, it's not just for the sweet by and by. It's for today. It's for this life. We can have change for the better now. So I'm going to leave you with this question. Have you given your life to Christ? Your whole life. Father God, we thank you for your son. And Father, you know that there are times when our struggles is not with the things that we don't understand in Scripture, but it's really with the things we clearly understand. Father, we thank you that you, in your mercy, knowing that we would follow our own path, gave us a way to be able to come back to you. We thank you for that cross, but we thank you very much today for the things Jesus taught us that we're still striving to learn. We thank you for your mercy and for helping us to come and to be in a right relationship with you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.